thank you so much for Grace Life. Thank you for Pastor Joe. Thank you for the worship team and for the music that we get to have together and worship in your name. Please bless the word that you have put on Joe's heart. Uh, please soften our hearts to the message. Whatever we came in here with today, let us set it aside and be ready to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I love Sunday mornings being with our Grace Life family. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know one of our fellow Grace Lifers has been in and out of the hospital a lot lately. His name is Greg Bauer. Some of you know him. Uh, he's struggling a lot, but he misses his church family. I saw him uh, Friday at the hospital, and uh, he just asked that you guys pray for him. And so please doing that is, is what Jen was talking about. Greg's a good guy, and um, but he misses his church family quite a bit. So um, just be in prayer for him. We love you, Greg. I know you'll be watching this later, uh, critiquing my sermon. So, <clears throat> so um, we're continuing with this series on the Gospel of Mark that we've entitled Mark the Evangelist. And for those of you that are social media savvy, you might remember I set up this, uh, this or no, I didn't set it up, Mark set up this Twitter feed for himself. Because the Gospel of Mark reads like a Twitter feed. It really does. It's amazing how fast and quick it moves. <clears throat> and uh, we're going through, this is week three of our series on the Gospel of Mark. I'm titling it Jesus the Baptist. Yes, that's right. Jesus was a Southern Baptist. I didn't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> Have you ever had a mentor? Someone who taught you, who guided you through an area of life or a skill or something that happened in your life and you needed help? Sometimes it can be a pastor. Other times it can be a, a recovery sponsor. It can be a professional mentor, somebody who teaches you a skill or a trade where you're an apprentice kind of thing. For some of us, it's been a coach or a teacher. In some way, we've all had some sort of mentor at some time or another. And the impact they have on our lives can be far reaching and quite dramatic, reshaping our values our philosophy, our direction, our purpose. And it is the reason why many of us, we have people we love in our life, but, but there's a, some sort of special affection that we develop for our mentors. We speak highly of them. That's why mentor, when you say, oh, he's my mentor, she's my mentor, it's quite often an affectionate term. And as I was writing this sermon about mentoring and about John and Jesus, my thoughts were flooded with people that have mentored me. And when I speak of these people in passing, they come up in a, in a conversation. My natural response about speaking about my mentors is to speak passionately about them with deep gratitude, respect, and tremendous admiration. For an example, <clears throat> Thursday night, my wife and I were at dinner with some friends. And Pastor Daryl, one of the founding pastors here at Grace Life, along with the founding team, was, uh, he came up in our conversation. And I began to speak about Pastor Daryl from my heart. I've known him for a long time. And I was talking about how proud I was to have him as a friend, as a mentor, somebody that I speak to every week about my sermon to make sure my theology is on point and, and to go through the homiletic side of things. And just that comfort of knowing that I have a guy with such tremendous knowledge and experience as kind of a kind of a safety net for me each week. Each week I'm going through writing my sermon and on Thursday I'm really getting nervous. But then I, at around 3.30 I can say, okay, I'm going to stop because I can send these notes to Daryl and it's going to be okay. 
Before I realized it, I had been talking about him for five minutes. This friend who had been a mentor for me as a pastor and a preacher and as a writer, I went on for five minutes without notes, just sincere passion and affection from my heart for him. To me, that's very similar to the scene we see in today's passage when Jesus comes to John to be baptized. Here's the passage from today, Mark chapter 1, 7 through 11. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I. This is John the Baptist talking. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being opened, torn open, and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Who do you think that he is? The spirit immediately drove him out of the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days. This is Jesus now being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So. The gospel of Mark has just a few sentences about John the Baptist. This is one of the sections. And there's so much in there. But to understand baptism, I think it's important for you to understand the history of Jews and baptism. This is what we call a mikvah pool or a cleansing pool. And you can see there's a rabbi there. He's a Baptist rabbi. And so we need to understand the cultural significance of baptism. Baptism is a distinctly Jewish custom. Some Orthodox Jews still practice baptism today. As a matter of fact, this whole idea of baptism was really taking off at the time Jesus was beginning to start his public ministry. And when John the Baptist was doing his ministry in the wilderness. And I want to talk a little bit about this system of rabbi baptism. It was part of a ritual system of cleansing before you went into worship in the temple. It was a huge part, not just of temple worship, but of Jewish culture, especially in Jerusalem in the first century. And you see, this is a picture of an ancient mikvah pool. These are on the southern steps of the temple. If you were a Jew, you'd be walking in to worship in the temple and you would see dozens of these pools filled with water, pristine, clear, clean water. I saw them when I was in Jerusalem about, man, wow, 20 years. Holy cow, I'm old. Like 20 years ago. So here's what would happen. The rabbis were mentors. They were considered mentors. And here's what they would do. They would work the community. They would go around the areas, the suburbs of Jerusalem and the inside of Jerusalem. And they would speak their message in an attempt to gain followers. And so they would go around. And what happened is a rabbi would sit and he'd start talking. And those who followed him would sit around and they would talk and the rabbi would teach. He'd get up and he'd go somewhere else and the crowd might continue to grow as he teaches. And he would gain a following of people who saw him as their, this rabbi, whoever it was, as their spiritual mentor. And when it came time to worship in the temple, you had to go through the temple process. Part of it was going through these mikvah pools and you would be ritually cleansed in the name of your rabbi. The only catch was your rabbi had to be alive. He had to be in Jerusalem with you at the time. 
And what was happening is as you were going through the temple worship process and you were going through, you had to publicly identify your allegiance to a particular rabbi's message. You had to say, I am identifying with this particular rabbi's version of the truth. I am being mikvah, I am being ritually cleansed in the name of this rabbi. He is my mentor, he's my guide, he's my director. He's helping me. Interesting stuff, huh? Well, check this out. I want to talk about John the rabbi. Suddenly, all these people that had been in Jerusalem, perhaps following other rabbis, now come out to the wilderness to embrace this new eclectic rabbi in camel skin who's eating grasshoppers and honey. And it's a stunning social statement. They abandoned temple-centered, temple-approved rabbis to be mentored by this homeless dude in the wilderness. And in time, John doesn't go around in the population centers. We talked about this a little bit last week. From the wilderness, where he sets up shop, he becomes the most popular, noticeable rabbi in the entire region. He is surrounded by people, and obviously, as you can see, Severe jealously ensues. It would be natural. And other rabbis and temple workers, when they saw a rabbi was starting to gain following, they would send some spies, find out what he's teaching. What's he got? It's sort of like market research. <laughs> well, they're certainly sending spies now. This is certainly happening. But this time they're sending them to hear a rabbi that is gaining too much attention in the wrong place, drawing it away from the temple. Wait a minute, rabbis are supposed to bring people to the temple. We need their money. We need their worship. And they're looking to try to find a weakness, something to convict him of. Certainly that was happening here. So as his following and John the Baptist, John the rabbi's popularity grew, those that resented him continued to grow as well. So as the scripture picks up today, he's in there preaching this message. There's one coming that's better than me. He's amazing. And then Jesus comes. This is pretty amazing stuff. You should be baptizing me. So why was John baptizing people in the Jordan River? Where did he get the idea from in the first place? Keep in mind, think about this now. This wasn't the first time Jesus and John had met. They were family. They had known each other from day one. When the scripture says that Elizabeth came next to Mary and the baby in her womb leapt. That was John the Baptist. His cousin. Surely John and Jesus, as they grew up together, spoke about these things often. I'm certain because Jesus, you know, he's God, probably taught John everything he knew about repentance and the kingdom of heaven. It's possible, and I think I'm speculating, but I think it's highly likely that Jesus even told him, John, you're going to be the one that Isaiah talked about, the voice, in the, the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jehovah. Wait a minute, cousin Jesus, that would mean you're Jehovah. That's right. And what happens, what we see in the story of John is he is so passionate about what Jesus has taught him. 
and he teaches this message in the wilderness to anyone who comes. These were teachings clearly that John had learned directly from his rabbi, his cousin, Jesus. And part of John's message was that his baptism, the one in the water in the river Jordan in the wilderness, was just a mere shadow of what Jesus was going to do when he would come. See, not only did Jesus, not only did John know that Jesus was God, John knew that Jesus was his rabbi. And that's why he says, you should be baptizing me. We see this in Matthew 3. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. See, remember what I just explained to you about how the rabbi situation would work? Could you imagine if you were at the temple wanting to go into worship and you came up to be baptized by your rabbi and your rabbi says, no, no, today I want you to baptize me. See, it was unthinkable to usurp your rabbi's position of authority and honor. It was disrespectful to their position. Imagine, if you would, John's emotion. When the one that he has been preaching about day after day, putting his life in peril, the one who is far greater than him, that one comes down into the river and says, John, you're doing such a good job. I want to be baptized by you. What? If you will, it is almost like this is John's moment of well done, good and faithful servant. You got the message right. What John does, what John has happened to him in this setting. Think about this now. How would you feel? I think what happens is John receives affirmation from his most important mentor, his rabbi Jesus, his cousin. And what we know from scripture is soon after this, John is arrested and executed. But at that moment, with his ministry growing, with his popularity through the roof, all these people coming out, forsaking their temple approved, temple sponsored rabbis, coming to the wilderness, embracing John's message of repentance and the baptism of John, as opposed to the baptism of their old rabbis, then Jesus comes down and says, yeah, what that guy said, I agree. Whoa. I love it when I'm writing my sermon notes and I send them to Daryl. I say, Daryl, what do you think? He goes, that's great. Once every six months it happens and it's awesome. <laughs> Let's talk about the spiritual. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I want to talk about this bold public statement. So you guys know that Mark the Evangelist has been tweeting a lot <clears throat> during the week. And these are the three tweets he gave us this week. The whole countryside is coming to John, confessing their sins in public. Many tears of joy as he baptizes. It's so moving I can't explain what I feel. When he baptized me, I still had my phone in my pocket. New phone, so I lost contacts. Inbox digits. He's really hip. Number four of updates, someone special showed up today. He was talking with John for a bit. That's probably when they were discussing, you should be baptizing me. Then John baptized him. The sky went nuts. We heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's freaky. I'm still learning this phone so I couldn't get pics in time. <laughs> Remember, his phone got... 
So I just found out, you know, the guy that died, Jesus, that John baptized, that calls all the sky splitting and the voice of God thing? They're cousins. I'm looking into this more and we'll get back to you. I tried to Google them, but nothing yet. So it take, take me a day or two. Remember, these tweets are trying to keep you connected with what's probably going on in the lives of these guys when all this was unfolding. <clears throat> Try to help you stay connected to the message of Jesus during the week as we go through the Gospel of Mark. So if you're not following it, figure out a way to follow it. <clears throat> but here's what we know. There are two purposes of baptism. The ceremony of cleansing and the publicity of declaration of what message you embrace. Obviously, Jesus did not need the cleansing. So what was the righteousness that the Bible says that Jesus fulfilled by being baptized by John? We know from history the purpose of baptism was a public statement about what you believed and who taught you. And we can determine a significant purpose for this scene of Jesus being baptized by John in the wilderness in front of all these people. It is meant to be an extremely public profession. A very public statement by Jesus to the world for all to see. And here are the statements, the incredibly significant statements that Jesus makes by allowing himself to be baptized by John. First thing he says is John is right. John was calling leaders, followers, even Gentile soldiers to repentance so their hearts would be ready to receive Messiah. And Jesus makes an extremely controversial public statement about John's teachings of repentance and forgiveness to prepare hearts for Messiah. The statement is that his rabbinical teachings, John's, are aligned to Jesus. Jesus the Baptist, if you will, the original. And Jesus declares what John has been preaching, what Jesus himself had taught him, is in fact the message from God. Can you imagine the joy John must have felt in that moment when he realizes when Jesus comes down and be baptized and John, Jesus is saying, John is right, everyone. John's got it. This is the rabbi you need to listen to. He's the man. He's better than all others who've ever been born. Think of it now. The next thing is... Jesus is saying, I am God and man. This is the only place in scripture I can think of <clears throat> where all three elements of God are present in that moment. The father's voice, he is well pleased. Jesus, the son in the flesh and the Holy Spirit that descends down upon him. All three right there in that moment. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God revealed through the voice from heaven and the descent of the Spirit that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one. Through him, his purposes would all be accomplished. It's a statement of both his divinity and his humanity. It's what makes Jesus the pleasing sacrifice, the sinless humanity, his Holy Spirit, the deity, all rolled into one and soon after... What we do know from Mark is Jesus began to do God-like things. Feeding thousands, healing them, raising them from the dead, powerful preaching. And he would soon demonstrate his deity and his power. But it's interesting, his first act is one of human public obedience, a distinctly human act. In fact, 
What we learn is his humanity is on full display in the wilderness temptation for 40 days. You know what else Jesus is saying by this comment? You don't need the temple anymore. I'm coming out of Jerusalem to the wilderness to be baptized in the river Jordan, not in a mikvah pool in the southern steps of the temple. Mark's message is simple. It was a very populist message of God coming to his people, not the other way around. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Hebrews, explains a little bit of what this means. He says in Hebrews, the gifts and sacrifices that are offered, in other words, temple worship, that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Church, this is the time of reformation right here. And what Paul is saying is all those things we used to do, they were powerless to actually transform our conscience. They were just temporary things. Regulations imposed until the time of reformation. Jesus is declaring with his baptism, a post-temple interaction with his people. He is no longer to be found in the temple, but he will be found in the hearts of his children through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He is saying, in fact, Jesus, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father by, by me. But yet, what's really cool is he is actually coming to us to bring us to the Father. In Jesus, humanity and divinity come together in the Messiah symbolized in this baptism, therefore fulfilling all righteousness. Now let's talk about the personal. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this story? I want to talk about the servant rabbi. So this was the... Uh, Sunday Sermon Preview, I was very thrilled, I was very humbled. Mark the Evangelist actually retweeted this at some point during the week, which is really fun. He must have liked it. The baptism of Jesus was an expression of deity becoming humanity to provide a cure for depravity. The Son of Man coming not to be served, but to serve. It's amazing how the Son of God comes to his cousin in the wilderness to be baptized. It's just how our rabbi works. All other world religions say this, every one of them. Divinity will not come down to humanity, but humanity must strive to reach up to and achieve divinity through whatever process that divinity deems necessary. Man is to strive to satisfy the deity. Christianity, the message of our rabbi Jesus alone teaches this, that the divine reaches down into humanity to become the connecting bridge. That is the gospel. That was the message of John in the wilderness. God becoming a servant to save his children. Our rabbi Jesus coming to us. Then there's this other side of this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Today, our rabbi comes down to us through the spirit that John preached about. That same spirit that came down upon Jesus. I love the way Paul describes it in Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
when we have the ability to suddenly think of God no longer as the judge with a long beard and lightning bolts from his fingertips. And now we think of him as daddy. It's the ultimate form of service, is it not? That God searches out those who he loves and sends his spirit into their hearts. Think of it. In our depravity, in the midst of our disbelief, our rabbi pays the price as a man on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God so that he can send his spirit into our hearts, transforming us, turning us into followers that can be passionate about the message just like he did with John. And then it comes to this part, this well done part. So let me try to explain this this way. Most of us have someone somewhere in our life that we feel indebted to, desire to honor with our words or our actions. Let me just confess this to you. I long to hear my rabbi Jesus say those words to me one day. I know that sounds like, oh, that sounds like church speak. It really not. It's really not church speak. It really is my heart. I long for the day when all this is done. And Jesus says, Joe, you did all right. I want my rabbi to feel about me the way he felt about John. So let's go back to the correlation of rabbis and mentors. Let me try to personalize this John-Jesus relationship that we're studying today. So some of you know, earlier this year, my high school English teacher, uh, Mrs. Larson, passed away. And her husband, Eric, he actually visited church here a couple months ago, uh, told me that before she died, she said, I want Joe to preach at my funeral. So both of these people are two of the most important mentors of my life. I was so profoundly humbled by this expression of one of my most crucial beloved. I loved this woman. She's, she's been so important in my life. I, I could go through stories even after high school of the impact she and her husband have had on me. And one of her last things was, I want Joe to speak at my funeral. Thousands of students, thousands. She says, Joe, I want him there. But then in the middle of that, I felt this burden to do the best job I could to honor her for what she had done for me. Get this now. This is important. I was not trying to earn her favor. I already had that. My burden was to properly communicate my love for her. All I wanted at the end of the service was for her husband and family to say, Joe, that's exactly what we needed to hear. That's all I wanted. So I can imagine on a much smaller scale, what I'm describing you is a much smaller scale of what John must have felt when Jesus came to him to be baptized. Matter of fact, Jesus says this in Matthew eleven eleven. 11. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So church, Jesus the Baptist, the mentor of John the Baptist, that's our rabbi. Jesus is our mentor. 
and the passion that John displayed, this is the passion we should have for our mentor, Rabbi Jesus. Living in gratitude for what he has taught us, what he has done, where he has brought us, how he sent his spirit into our heart, the spirit of baptism. Listen carefully. This is so important. We are not doing that in a way to try to earn his favor. We've already got that. For some strange reason, he showed it to us without us even deserving it. So that's not how we live in gratitude, not to earn his favor. That was given to us when he came to us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that John preached about. No, no. We desire to declare to others just how amazing our rabbi is, what he has taught us. We display passion and affection for our rabbi Jesus, for all he has done, following the example of our brother John. How amazing will it be on that day for us when our rabbi says, well done. Ephesians says, for you who were dead, has he made alive in Christ Jesus. And he's prepared us for good works, which he has created beforehand that we trip over. That's what John was doing. That's what we get to do because our mentor, Jesus, rocks. Heavenly Dad, I pray that by your spirit and by your word and by the encouragement of one another that you would make us good apprentices. Fill us with the passion that only comes from gratitude so that our motivation will be far greater than anything the world can offer. The motivation to tell others, you think your rabbi's good? (laughs) Let me tell you about my rabbi, what he did for me, what he's done for you. (laughs) 